Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome back, guys, to another episode of the Chase and Tales Outdoor Podcast. If this is your first time joining us, I'm your host, Walt, and on this podcast, we talk all things outdoors. We try and bring you stories and adventures and topics from all over the spectrum of outdoor adventures, hunting, fishing, trapping, you name it. You can find it here, and I'm so glad that you are listening today. Now, this episode had a little bit of technical difficulties there, and we got most of them ironed out, but there's a little bit of ticking involved, uh, a little bit of background noise that comes and goes that ebbs and flows, but I think the content is good enough that it overcomes those challenges, and I know you'll agree with that as well. Now, before we get to the show, and I'm not going to spend very much time talking today before this episode, but before we do, I want to say thanks to the primary sponsor of this podcast, you. You guys supporting us on Patreon, sharing and liking our content on Facebook. You guys are making this podcast grow. You are the backbone of this podcast, and I just want to say thank you on behalf of Chase and I and the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast. Thank you for continuing to support this show week in and week out. So that's all I've got to say at the beginning of this. Let's get to the show. Okay, Josh, pressure's on. (laughs) Well, guys, you are listening to a trifecta of, of Florida crackers, Florida boys. You've got three of them on the line. Chase and myself obviously living here. The third person on the line tonight, while he isn't still a resident, I'm going to claim him as a Florida boy for the purpose of this intro. We've got uh, a fellow that saw the the green grass on the other side, ventured out there, and it would appear, based on the fact he hasn't come back, that uh, it the tr- the grass was truly greener on the other other side. So Josh Moe is on the line. Josh, dude. You just left a convention to come talk to us, and I really appreciate that, dude. How you doing tonight? Hey, guys, doing well. Thanks for having me on the show tonight. And um, yeah, I would I would disagree. The grass is greener, at least in the winter time. <laughs> yeah, I, I think four days ago I was still standing in some snow. Um, 
So yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually back down in the South right now in New Orleans for, for a conference, like you said. Um, I work for Garmin and um, we have a trade show going on right now, right down here right now. And uh, I, I remembered the, the hot and muggy weather as soon as I got off the plane. <laughs> Feels like somebody's breathing in your face. You, do, do, do you miss it at all? My coworker seems to complain more about the heat than I am, so I think it, it feels good. It feels kind of like home right now for me, so right. no complaints from me. Yeah, it, it's funny. You know, when we were setting this up, you and I got to talking a, a fair amount about New Orleans because that's where you were w- would be, and I told you that I grew up there, and I always tell people that I swear that New Orleans is the worst place in the summertime because it's below sea level, and I swear the wind just goes across the treetops. And and never actually hits the ground, so there's never breeze. It's always muggy, and uh, it just seems like no matter how much of a drought there is, it's always humid there. So, it's uh, you're you're definitely there during the peak. Well, just ahead of the summer heat, but you're getting pretty close, I'm sure. It's yep. I would agree with every word you just said. It was <laughs> it's all of the above. <laughs> well, Josh, why don't we do this? I always like to start off the episode by introducing the person, and there's no better person to to kind of give everybody a little bit of a background as to who you are uh, and uh, educate the listeners. Sure. So, um, like you mentioned, uh, previously from Florida, I actually was born and raised in Daytona Beach, Florida, um, my, my whole entire life until about five years ago it was all in Florida. I won't give away my age, but let's just say that was 30-something years in Florida. <laughs> About my age, then. <laughs> um, I, I uh, grew up fishing and hunting. I think I started hunting with my dad and my brother when I was, I don't know, probably six years old, somewhere around that age. Started fishing even before then and just uh, just loved that outdoor lifestyle. Um, you know, just a lot of fishing tournaments growing up, uh, primarily saltwater being in, in Daytona Beach. Um, did a lot of flats fishing, redfish, you know, tournaments. Um, did some offshore fishing. And then, of course, if you live in Florida and you're a hunter, you're going after hogs, alligators. And as you guys probably know, actually some pretty decent deer. I've uh, managed to take some decent deer in Florida, uh, much to the surprise of some of the Midwest friends and Western friends when, when they see some pictures of some some quality Florida deer. So, um really kind of learned that way of life early on and and stuck with it. I've always enjoyed it. Played a little football, played football in high school and a little bit in college. Um, Ended up going to Kentucky for a minute to play football. Kind of missed the Florida environment, came back and played for um, University of Central Florida for a few, for a little bit um, and and got injured pretty early on in that and decided to walk away from that. Um, Actually was in the film program at UCF. I started off with filmmaking, and I, I really love that side of of what I do now. Enjoy putting films together, commercials, things like that, and that's kind of my my side gig. But um, got away from the filmmaking at UCF and went more the marketing route, and that's kind of led me to where I am today, professionally wise. I work for Garmin. Um, obviously, most most of your listeners probably are familiar with Garmin. Probably used the Garmin GPS in their lifetime. I've been doing uh, sales for the, for them. Um, between another outdoor company, DeLorme, which was purchased by Garmin um, for going on seven years now. And uh, just recently moved into a new role with Garmin, um, selling just the in-reach product, um, which are two-way satellite communicators. A lot of hunters and fishermen use them. I'm actually working on the the professional government side doing kind of like team tracking, things like that for 
industries that work out in the field. Also a lot of um, government military, that, that kind of stuff, um, cover Canada, North America, Latin America as well. So um, it's been pretty interesting, a lot of new stuff to learn, but still get to, to live in the outdoor world, both, both in the professional and personal life. Um, but yeah, about uh, four and a half years ago, uh, I was offered the position uh, as a sales manager out in the West. I was the Western sales manager for DeLorme. And my family and I had already visited um, Idaho on a vacation years before. Always said if I have, have the chance to move out west, I'm gonna I'm gonna move to Idaho. It just had everything I like about um, you know as far as fishing, hunting, um, snowboarding, out, just outdoor activities in general. So it was a quick decision when I off, got offered that job to to move out west, and my wife was on board. So we packed up everything we had, sold our house in Daytona Beach, which was right down near the beach. That was kind of tough to do, um, but it felt like it was meant to be when our house sold in 18 hours. Holy and, uh, cow. We kind of, yeah, nice. we were kind of concerned, you know, hopefully this is the right decision, and hopefully we don't move out there and have to pay a mortgage on a house in Daytona for months until we find a buyer. So that was kind of our final just confirmation we were doing the right thing. And, um, yeah, I've lived there, lived out there ever since, um, Garmin, literally Garmin bought the company I was working for on my drive. I was crossing Montana into Idaho when I had a conference call and they, um, were letting us know that Garmin was purchasing DeLorme. Didn't know what that was going to mean for my job and the thing tight. So I think I didn't even tell my wife, um, that day <laughs> I, was, uh, I was a little terrified, you know, literally yeah. just the whole family. We just had a daughter. So at the time I had, uh, like a, a seven month old daughter moving out there. And so, um, it, it ended up working out great. Garmin kept me on board and uh, made me a sales manager within that organization. And it's been great working for them. Awesome company. Uh, in fact, I think a couple weeks ago, they were rated in Forbes magazine as a top five company to work for in America. So I would agree. It's a, uh, awesome company to work for. Well, it, it seems so, like it's one that, that fits right into your outdoor lifestyle. I mean, if you, uh, if you, if you, if you're lucky enough to be a part of one of his Facebook friends, there's no lack of adventure for Josh. He, he is always out there, uh, doing something outdoors related. And I imagine working for Garmin kind of, do, do they feed into that? Do they, do they encourage their employees to embrace that, that outdoor being able to attest to the product? 100%. Yeah. You know, Garmin's a very diverse company. We have things in the, you know, fitness, outdoors, um, aviation, uh, marine, and you'll find pretty much every worker that works within one of those categories is probably living that life and, um, you know, using the products in their daily life. So they, they definitely encourage it. Um, as a sales manager, I get to test out a lot of products, which is really cool. And I've been covering Alaska to Wyoming for my territory. And, um, you know, you, I, I have friends outside of Garmin that, you know, they travel as much as me and they get to a town and maybe their first thought is to go out and have a drink at a bar. And that's fine if, if that's what they enjoy. I, I personally, when I get off work, I try to go find something to hunt, hike, swim, you know, just really take advantage of being in these awesome places for work and um, get to use the products that I'm selling out there while I'm working. So, so what are some of the company secrets? What's coming down the pipe that no one knows about? <laughs> it was worth a try i mean you know <laughs> i was gonna try to think of, of something really crazy real quick <laughs> yeah well, we're gonna integrate face
FaceTime into our next unit so you can just uh, talk to your buddy face-to-face. No, I'm just kidding, but... Uh, there you go. <laughs> exactly. No, I, that's funny. So it, it's... Uh, well, well, before we move on past that, he said something earlier in his intro that I kind of wanted to talk about rocket, real quick. Dude. And that was, you said you killed some real quality bucks in Florida. So what type of quality are we talking about? And was it near Daytona? Yeah, so I've killed some deer in Flagler Beach, um, or Flagler County. Um, do you want me to kind of start over and like... No, 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 no. no. You, can, you can just just go. Just I'm just asking that quick question because I don't want to forget about it. Yeah, so I mean, in Florida, I think a, a quality deer is anything that's 130 inches. Um, it, you know, it, on a Florida deer body, which I've killed some decent Florida deer body too. Um, 130 inch buck looks pretty big. You know, when you're, when you're sitting in a swamp and uh, a rack like that walks through, you're, you're looking at some monsters. Um, some guys I've, I've worked with over the years. So I've been part of Southern draw. Um, I knew it. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) That was one of my questions earlier because I was trying to place you and I couldn't figure out. I've been looking on YouTube for days trying to find the YouTube channel that I had had you associated with. My bad, man. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. uh, Adam Ellison. I also started to tell another Adam's name. Um, Adam (laughs) Ellison kind of started Southern Draw. I don't know. It was probably seven, eight years ago. Um, And then his brother came on board, a couple other fellas. so we started filming uh, just very, very amateur hour, um, really kind of where I learned how to edit hunting films and stuff. But um, long story short, Sam Ellison um, killed a 149-inch whitetail on film, I want to say about two years ago, three years ago, and uh, then followed up the next year and killed another one about the same size. And um, I, I've been saying all along, and I know some, I know some guys in, in and around uh, Tallahassee as well who um, – are killing some monsters. I, I've been saying for a while that the deer herd in Florida is getting better and better every year. And I don't know if that, you know, is because of just better management, better laws, um, just hunters in general are getting more educated. But it, it just seems like that population is getting a lot better than when I was a little kid. Um, I think, I don't know, my, maybe my senior year of high school, freshman year of college, I killed like a, 130 inch and that was that was my biggest today at that point and I, I felt like i saw more of that quality buck every year after that than i'd seen before so there's some good ones up yeah, here no chase doubt. gets after him every year he's the he's the the podcast resident big buck and florida killer he's got it going <laughs> on down there but i think would you agree that it's kind of isolated like the pockets of, of big deer are kind of isolated in the state josh I would definitely agree with that. I mean, I still, you know, see plenty of those little basket racks that everybody's seen in Florida um, for the most part. But, yeah, there's there's a couple places I know down in central Florida that year after year, either myself or buddies were killing good deer off of. Uh, a lot of big deer out and around Disney World if you can get access to that area. Um, oh, good to know. know yeah. Usually someone that works at Disney that's, some, you know, high up that has some sort of access. Oh, all right, yeah, no doubt. It's time to start sending out my, some letters uh, of permission. <laughs> <laughs> my uh, father-in-law, he he killed a 146 this year. Uh, That's all close to me. So that they're they're there. I mean, it's not like there's a ton of them walking around, but we do obviously produce some 140 to 150 class bucks every year. 
And then every now and then you'll have an anomaly where somebody kills something really big. But I do think it's getting better. And then did you know that Florida just went to a tag system? I did not. Yeah. Yeah. We just went to a tag system, which is you get five tags for the season. So it's not no longer like two bucks a day or whatever it is for the entire season. You get five tags total, two of which can be does. So that, that ought to be interesting. Yeah, that's great to hear. I mean, I used to have friends ask me, you know, that didn't live in Florida, how, how many, you know, could you kill one, two deer? I'm like, yeah, every single day for like right. four and a half months straight if you really wanted to. <laughs> um, no, I mean, obviously, I, I think five deer is a – I would be happy if I could kill five deer in one year. I wouldn't complain about that one bit, but I think that is good that they have gone to a Texas. And at least, you know, I don't know, obviously not living there anymore, how that's being received, but I would expect that to probably be a positive thing. Yeah, yeah, for the most part it is. I mean, you got your few outliers, like some of the dog hunters and stuff like that, that were kind of upset. But Sure. Now, I did have the chance to um, kill a sandbar deer down there by you guys. Whoa. Uh, I think that's an island. Nice. Okay, so now was... this podcast may have just shifted its topic. Because <laughs> that is something. So I'm torn on this, Josh. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I'm torn on this topic. I don't know if I want you to go any further because – <laughs> there was another hunting podcast in the state of Florida that, that broadcast the process to, to apply for those, those sandbar. And evidently, evidently the applications skyrocketed the, the following application year. So <laughs> I, yeah, no, I hear you big time, man. We made a, we made a video about it and I was even kind of leery to make a video about it. I, I was able to self film the kill and um, we put a, a little i don't know it must have been eight ten minutes long and i've had some heat from it you know it's one of those things like i just wanted to share that because it is such a unique hunt but i also see the standpoint of hey this is kind of our little secret down here um you know it was was touchy i had i had i think 90 percent of the people were very responsive i even went back the year after i got drawn um by chance a year after and had some guys come up and say hey i saw your video man we um had no clue what to expect. I was bringing my son out here. I was a little scared. We watched your video and like, it just made it. So it was something I knew I could bring my son on. It was very positive. You know, it was just a very positive feedback from the video. But then I had some guys like on YouTube that made some comments and a couple offhand comments in person just saying, oh, I wish you wouldn't have done that. Because now yeah. people are going to find out one. I don't think we're cool enough. Like so many people <laughs> knew about it. It's like <laughs> we don't have that kind of reach that it's going to make a, make a difference. Neither but, are we. <laughs> <laughs> I was only halfway kidding when I said that, but yeah. Um, yeah. So long story short, my, you know, the, the guy that came up and said, you gave me comfort to bring my son out here. I knew what to expect. Saw the boat ride, blah, blah, blah. Outweighed the negative. Sure. Comment. So I was like, you know what? That one comment made me feel good about making this film. So the, the funny thing is now that I know that you were part of Southern ground or not Southern ground, it was, um, help me out, Josh. So, Yes, Southern Draw. Southern Draw. Southern Draw. I've seen those videos, part one and part two. I thought those were epic. Now, were you the guy that was in Idaho that everybody flew in to go elk hunting with? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> See? Okay. That was – I forgot about the sandbar until you brought it up, but that was the video I was thinking about. And I thought when I saw you, I was like, this guy left and went to Idaho. God, this seems like 
this seems like it could be him, but I didn't want to be that, you know, weird about it, you know, and, and ask you like, Hey, are you part of this group? And then you'd be like, no, <laughs> but yeah. Uh... <laughs> yeah. So we have two, um, two kind of Idaho films. Um, one with a big, uh, 184 inch mule deer kill that Adam got. And then another one where I finally killed my first elk out there. That's awesome. Wow. That's awesome. And so you still continue, you've got your own little YouTube channel, right? Like yourself now. So, um, it, it's, it's funny. I, I, I work with a lot of different people on a lot of different projects. Um, I, I'm still kind of like a toting member of Southern draw. I still talk to those guys, but being that it's Southern draw, it's kind of weird having me live in Idaho, part of Southern draw. Sure. Those guys all had a lot of kids. Um, not like they didn't have a lot of kids, like each one of them had a kid, right? <laughs> Summing up a lot of kids. Um, and, um, still great buddies with them. I've done many hunts with them since this, but I kind of moved over to uh, another show called his and hers outdoors um, with another. um, So I've been part of the Badlands family, Badlands camo family for a while. And um, John Sisney on bad was a Badlands staff member. And he kind of invited me over to be part of the show on pursuit channel and help edit and film and all that kind of stuff. So did that for a couple of years and just um, kind of went away from the pursuit channel just with the, there's still a lot of good shows on TV. Um, and still a lot will stay on there forever. I think it's, there's, it, I think there's kind of this shift to online for some people with a lot of groups. So we kind of went away from the pursuit channel and now we're really just doing, um, film festivals and, um, YouTube videos and, um, just kind of, it, it, it takes a little stress off and it allows you to be a little more creative. You know, you don't have to be locked into a 22 minute episode and, you know, sell, commercial slots to make some of that money up for, for pursuit channel or outdoor, whatever it may be. Um, now you can say, hey, you know what? I want an eight minute episode or right. I want a 13 minute episode. And if I get excited and accidentally say, you know, a bleep, <laughs> I don't know if you allow that on your show. So I'll just say a bleep. Um, I'll let it, I'll just let it roll out. You know, we're obviously on TV yet. Be careful with that kind of stuff. So, um, so yeah, long story short, apparently I say that a lot now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> get me out of podcast I'm all of a sudden using term short story long <laughs> um, so I still work with the southern dog guys still um, um, plan on doing a lot of stuff with them still um, working with his and hers um, doing some editing with uh, these guys Bull Maniac Shane Mallory um, so it's, it's just been a cool thing to just put together a, a film and I think Walter you had a chance to see yeah, kind of my rough draft and help kind of critique some of that stuff. So I appreciate that. And I was just kind of bringing everybody together is, you know, kind of what's missing from the industry. I think we've gotten in this kind of measuring contest and it just got back to, you know, let's just hunt and have some fun. And, you know, everybody's got their own reason for hunting, made this little video called end game. And it was kind of like, what is your end game? Maybe it is to get a big trophy and that's, that's cool. Maybe it's just get meat for your family. Maybe it's the adventure part of it. And, kind of worked everybody together into one thing. So that had the uh, Southern draw didn't hurt hands bone maniacs. That's all kind of part of that. Yeah. It was, a, it was a great video too. I, I don't think I said anything other than like, maybe the volume was too low, but I appreciate the shout out on that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's ironic. You're still correcting me on audio on the podcast. Right? <laughs> you must have a good ear for this. <laughs> I guess. I don't know, but no, it's, it's cool. I, you know, it's, I, 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 I going to kind of put you on the spot a little bit here but and you kind of test on this does does being on youtube allow you to be a little more authentic than on the sportsman's uh channel 
Do you feel like, because I feel like you touched on that a little bit when you said you could, if you get super excited and you cuss, you know, something maybe slips out, it's not lost. Like that, that, that audio or that, that video isn't going to be scrutinized. Do you feel like you're allowed to be a, tr- a truer version of yourself? Yeah, I think for the most part. I mean, Pursuit was never too bad. You know, it, they, I mean, I never felt like they're really monitoring. Um, it, it was more about the quality with them than, than the, the content. Um, YouTube definitely allows me to just throw out some raw, real stuff. And, and what's cool about YouTube is you can just be immediate with it. You know, I could go out and do something tonight. In fact, I put up a, a little turkey hunting video the other day. Um, just, you know what, I want to throw that up there tonight. Didn't have to make a whole big to-do out of it and – you know, 24 hours from killing a turkey, there's a video up. And um, I think that's a cool thing about that is you can just be raw, real, and kind of in the moment, immediate. Yeah. And of course, have the comments. Sometimes I want to turn comments off. <laughs> I made a <laughs> I made a self-filming tips video one time, and it, it had a lot of really, really good feedback. And I think it had, I don't know, probably 30,000 views and pretty short time and it's just saying here's what i do when i'm out self-filming because that's primarily what i do is self-filming sure enough man you get people on there just you know talking about this or that and the the personal side of me i'm just like oh man i don't want to see that but then some of them had good points (laughs) so i can't argue with them (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome man well so did you have a good turkey season I had a very short turkey season, so, so um, you and me both. With man. this, yeah. So with this new role, I, I've talked to a lot of buddies this year. I don't know what it is about 2019, but turkey season was short for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. So I, uh, with this new job, I was kind of working the new job, doing a lot of trainings, a lot of trips for that. But I was also committed to covering my old position until they backfilled my position. So it just was bad timing this year. I just was on the road. I, I, I hit the road. I think April 28th and I've been home, I don't know, maybe four days since April 28th. And here we are June, what, June 11th. So, yep. 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 So it's just, I've been on the road. So I actually um, did one full Turkey hunt and got a Turkey. So that's awesome. Nice. Well, it was short for chase. Cause he tagged out in like four and a half hours or something crazy like that. <laughs> and then <laughs> it was short for me. Cause I was just so busy. I had like one hunt with chase for about four hours. So that was, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to have chase take me and, and we chased Osceola's, but dude, it was, it was a brief season and I'm, I'm actually missing it more than I thought I would. Well, congrats, Chase. That's the way you want it to go down, I suppose. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a bummer, bummer for you, Walter. <laughs> <laughs> well I, it wasn't I, quite that fast it, no it, <laughs> it was a couple of days or it was back to back or two days or yeah. something like that but it was within the first week hey on season. an osceola turkey though I, I know how you know challenging those birds can be so anytime you can get one down that's that's pretty good oh yeah it was they, they were both uh epic hunts so I, i'm not complaining about either one of them so um where, where are you actually turkey hunting in idaho I am. Yep. So um, we've Marion uh, up in my area, and I actually hunt them like elk. Uh, you can, you know, set up decoys and ground blind, but they move around quite a bit in my area. So I, uh, I literally do the run and gun deal: go out, call, listen, move, move a couple hundred yards, call, listen. And um, this, the one I got this year, I got um, set up. They were kind of held up for a little while. It was an actually, it was an evening hunt, believe it or not, and. Uh, I had a, a hen a couple hundred yards off to my right and a, a tom a couple hundred yards off to my left. And 
he came in, the hen came in, and I sat in the middle and beat him to it. So um, I, I typically like to turkey hunt with my bow. Because I had a limited time this year, I, I went with the 12 gauge, and that was a lot of fun. It was pretty cool to <laughs> knock the yep. head off again. I, I, you'll find about me, I like to kill stuff. Doesn't matter what. I, I do enjoy the bow a lot, but there's nothing wrong with pulling out an old 12 gauge and knocking the head off. No yeah. doubt. Jay Scott said it best, and I've said this probably on three different podcasts, but I've never heard somebody say this before. But like, shotguns are for killing turkeys. Like that, I, we asked right. him when we had him on the podcast, do you use a bow? And he just responded, just dead pandas can be. Like, I enjoy bow hunting a lot. However, shotguns are for turkeys. <laughs> <laughs> I can't disagree with that. <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's, let's, <laughs> we had a good dialogue there, but let's, let's steer this back a little bit towards where we were going with this show because Sambar got brought up and a lot of good stuff. And we, we may have to, now that we've aired that out there, Josh, you, you may have to, to, uh, come back on and talk about Sambar because that would be a truly unique thing. And it's actually, they're kind of suffering right now after that hurricane. Um, I'm secretly, I'm hoping that the seven that they confirmed that washed up ashore <laughs> will take up residence in Florida and we could have like a native Sambar population. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be absolutely awesome to have like a, a Southeastern elk species to chase, but oh, uh, that'd be so cool. Yeah. Would you move back to Florida? <laughs> <laughs> he's he, he's still gonna kill something quite a bit bigger or a sandbar decent size but they, they're not as big as an elk no yeah i think the one i got was around 400 something odd pounds i know they get up to like 700 pounds on that island for a good one so that's a serious sized beast yeah for that's Florida. big yeah oh my goodness hey yeah. i tell you what talk about good eating i'm i mean it was it was top five venice i mean it, it was really good it was I hate to say this out loud, but it was better than elk. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was really good. I don't know if that's just because it's on that island or if the, you know, the legit sandbar down in Australia and stuff tastes the same, but it was surprisingly great. Huh. Well, that's good to know. Well, we'll have to, we'll have to let you know. We'll fly you in if we find a native population has been established over here. We'll seek and destroy a mission, but I'm, I'm a bit curious. What's your favorite Garmin unit? My favorite Garmin unit. Just one um, for all your lifestyle pursuits. What's what's the one you take? Oh, without a doubt, it's the Enreach. Right on. Why is that? Yeah. So, so Enreach. Um, if you're not familiar, it's two-way communication. You can take it anywhere on planet Earth, and I can text um, family and friends. So I text my wife on it if I'm in the middle of nowhere with no cell phone service. She can text me back. My dad texts me back. Um, it's also a uh, tracking device, so I do, like I said, I primarily solo hunt, and I'm not the apex predator out in Idaho, so it's good to know <laughs> someone can watch me, keep a track on me, and sure. make sure I'm moving along. Uh, and it's got an SOS, uh, dedicated SOS on it, so if I get in trouble, you know, break a leg on something, I can hit that SOS and get rescued in my exact spot I'm sitting on. I'll have two-way communication with rescue, and then it's also a GPS, so I can use it for my navigation we have a couple different units. Um, we just released the 66i, which is a fully dedicated Garmin handheld navigation device with inReach built into it. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. You can throw a hunting chip in there, have all the, the highest quality topo aerial imagery, and then you can still text on it too. Nice. And then I, yeah, and I, I, um, pilot as well. So do a lot of flying up in the mountains and stuff. And it's nice to have up in the airplane with me too, in case I have any kind of issue, you're always going to be able to communicate and 
again, that tracking feature, allowing my wife to track me when I'm flying and stuff like that's pretty cool. Oh man, you got to be careful with that. I think it could get you in trouble. <laughs> to to the listeners that are uh, uh, have, live questionable lifestyles, make sure you turn off the in reach. Uh, and before you get yourself in trouble, that seems like a final oh, friend. So, I, I, I've told this story uh, quite a few times, but you oh, know, no. having the the ability for my wife to reach out and kind of tap, you know, find my location is it, it does give you peace of mind. Sure, uh, I, you get you get in a little alert when someone pings you. It's called pinging, and you get a little alert, like a little crosshair, saying, "Hey, someone's reached out and looked for your information." When you go back and review your map. And, um, to be honest, I've never gotten one ping while I'm out hunting. You know, I'm in grizzly bear country. I'm in mountain lion country. <laughs> never have been tracked by my wife. However, I went and worked shot show in Las Vegas. And all of a sudden I started getting these little pings up on my map. <laughs> oh that God, that's awesome. Like yeah. I said, what's going on? You never, you never ping me until I get to Vegas. She said, there's lots of cougars down there. <laughs> oh, oh, that's it True in the story. podcast right there. That's the high point. I think <laughs> that's that's awesome. <laughs> there are I cougars may, there. <laughs> I may make that the caption of the show. I'm going to put a photo of you on Instagram, and it's going to be in like some kind of opaque words. It's like you never track me until I'm in Las Vegas, you know, or something like that, you know. <laughs> well. The purpose of this podcast is kind of to, to outline a transition that you have that I think I know Chase and I sit back and on the hot summer days or when it's a hot <laughs> December morning and we're deer hunting, we think about this kind of thing is moving out west and, and that transition that happens. Now, before we get into that conversation, let's tee this up a little bit. Before you went out west, had you ever been out to Idaho hunting before? I had never hunted Idaho. I had hunted Colorado okay. a handful of times, and um, elk and mule deer hunted out there, but never Idaho. So you you had an experience out there. What what was that first? What what impact did that first trip out west have on you w- with regards to shaping your outdoor perspective of where you wanted to be? Yeah, so um, went out to Colorado and um, bow hunted with with the Southern Draw guys, and um, Adam ended up uh, getting a shot on an elk. We we had a snowstorm literally roll in. It, it was in September. Had a snowstorm roll in within an hour of him shooting that elk, and we sadly never found that elk. And it was that was heartbreaking. But the experience we had out there, um, it was life changing. I mean, being up in the the Rocky Mountains and you know, living in the backcountry and, you know, eating over a campfire. I mean, it's just everything I always expected to be and more. And uh, we were all living in our little single man tents and man, we were probably posers and a half, not knowing what, <laughs> you know, probably too much gear of some stuff and not the right gear over here. And just, but just loved every minute of it. Uh, I want to say we spent like eight days out there that first trip and uh, had a run-in with a bear, um, saw tons of mule deer, got on elk every single day, um, just tough to get them to come in, especially with no experience on how to do it. What unit was that? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> um, Estes National Park, I think. I don't know how we got permission to hunt there. Actually, I don't think we asked. <laughs> um, so yeah that was it was just life-changing and uh the weather was great you know i get back to florida that year and i'd just been in 
you know, we had that snowstorm, which kind of sucked as a Florida guy. Um, but every everything else was beautiful. I mean, it was, you know, 30s at night, 50s and 60s in the day, just just everything you could expect. And I get back to Florida. I remember I went straight to hunting a swamp in Florida, which I still love. But I'm like, man, I'm missing that northern, that, that mountain right now. <laughs> And uh, saw a little button buck walk by. I'm like, look at that little guy. I never thought of a Florida deer as that, that little guy. <laughs> that time it was. But uh, was kind of hooked. Went back the next year. Killed killed my first mule deer up there. Um, same area. And uh, I just, you know, I knew I wanted to be out west. And for a lot of reasons, it, you know, I, I, I think um, you can. I tell people Florida has kind of a, a reverse winter effect to where, you know, in the winter time up in Idaho, everybody stays indoors because all the snow. It's kind of like the opposite in Florida. It's so hot, so muggy. You stay in air condition. And then in the wintertime is when you kind of go out and enjoy the outdoors. Um, but it's just really led to a, a real active lifestyle for me and my family. And my daughter growing up there is really loving it. So what were your expectations when you went out to Colorado? Did you think you were going to kill something? I mean, probably, right? Like you were, you know, enthusiastic and you already said it. You, you were full of yourself, right? So like, what did what what would have been the minimum had you gone out there to have been successful? I mean, I, I, the, yeah, the confidence in me said we're going to go out here and use the skills we've developed t- hunting tough Florida land, and we're going to make it happen. I think once I got out there, especially we did like a 10 p.m. hike in the dark going up, and my lungs were just beat. We we camped at 10,000 feet, which was real Ooh. tough, and. Um, wow. I, I, I think that was my wake up call that first day. And I said, well, maybe I'm not going to be as good as this as I thought. And then once we started hearing those elk bugles then it went back to, Oh, we got this, you know? And then I'm, I'm sitting there thinking when I heard that first elk bugle fairly close in person, I said, I'm not going to be able to hold a bow stable. I, I'm not going to be able to hold a pin on the vitals because I'm going to be shaking so bad. This, this pin's going to be bouncing off his head, his foot, <laughs> his gut. I'm like, I'm not going to be able to, to ethically release an arrow because I don't know where it's going. Um, <laughs> luckily, God did not provide me with that opportunity that first year. So, um, but yeah, you know, I, I think I, I feel like it was successful in the, the learning aspect of it. I would have been happy with nothing because that's what I got. Um, I was sad when we weren't able to re- recover Adam's elk, but it did give me that perspective. Hey, maybe a Florida guy can go out here. And right. we almost pulled it off on that first try. And uh, like I said, we came out the next year and we doubled up on on mule deer and we did pull that off. So um, I do feel like Florida hunters um, suffer a lot. You know, there's, you, you see on a, a lot of social media going back and forth, those southern hunters or western hunters, or midwest hunters, this and that. And I think they all can learn a lot from their environments. And I think there's a lot to learn if they go hunt the other environments Um you know, going out west has taught me a ton, but I feel like I've taken a lot of stuff out there that maybe Western hunters haven't been doing, and it's led to some success that, um, you know, I, I feel is directly from growing up in Florida. What was that trip back like for you? Coming back from Colorado that mm-hmm. first year? Yeah. Oh, I was – it was all the emotions. I was one, I was worn out. Um, I was on cloud nine. We, we ended up um, flying – we were – uh, we must have been four hours from Denver, and um, that that four hour drive back, I, I don't even see how we made it to the airport. We were all so tired. I remember going into Walmart, people looking at us because we stunk so bad. <laughs> That's awesome. We were all wearing just our base layer still, and uh, but we were just on cloud nine. We came out there, we climbed a mountain, literally, and 
you know, kind of symbolically and um, just we felt good. We felt positive. We we learned a lot. And then you had we had the bug. Every one of us have, have gone back. Well, obviously, me living there, but even all the other guys have gone back multiple times now since that first trip. And you just catch that bug and it's hard to forget it. Yeah, I, I imagine that's going to be the case. I'm, 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 I'm going out to Colorado for the first time this year, and I've avoided it for as long as possible because <laughs> I was finishing finishing up school, I was finishing up a lot of things, building a house here, and I felt like I needed to have some roots here because my uncle who lives in Colorado sends me these photos, and I just feel like this stirring in my soul. I hate to get all like deep on you guys, but. I feel like compelled to be there. Like, Oh, that, that is me right there. You know? So I finally got the house here. I've got a mortgage payment and that, you know, I feel like that might, you know, anchor me here <laughs> after I go out. Yeah, this fall. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So we'll, we'll see how it goes, but man, I, I can't imagine what I'm going to be like on that plane ride home. That's why that, that was a personal question for me. That wasn't for the listeners. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. No. I mean, I, you're you're going to have all the emotions, man. You're going to be so proud to have gone out there finally. Are you going elk hunting or mule deer hunting? Elk hunting. I'm going to be tagging okay. along, so I'm not actually going to be hunting. I'm going to be out there to get my uh, my rear kicked in gear, literally. Uh, you know, figure out what I'm up against, kind of learn my gear. I'm going to take my bow, but if uh, if I can't physically huff it, because one of my biggest concerns is what you touched on, which is the ability to take an ethical shot with the exhaustion and the and the adrenaline and everything. I'm I'm genuinely concerned, so I'm going to tag along with my uncle and my best friend who are going up there to with tags with the intention of killing, and uh, if I can help them pack out an elk, I'm going to be in the backcountry for ten days of Colorado. I could care less if I'm if I'm hunting or not, you know. Yeah, no, you're you're going to have a blast, man. And that plane ride home, you're going to just replay the whole week over and over and over in your head, and then when you get home, you're going to keep doing that over and over, probably for for a couple of years. And, um, I remember, uh, my first trip out there, I was, um, I forget exactly where I was working that next week, but I remember just sitting there, I opened up my phone and just started looking at some of the pictures of the week in, in Colorado and just kind of reliving that moment. I was having kind of a bad week and I just looked at those pictures and it brought me right back to that. And I'm, I'm like, it's in my blood now. <laughs> and I think you'll probably get some of that. Yeah, I, I can, I imagine I will. I read a lot of old books. I'm from like Hemingway and O'Rourke, and I feel like it aged my soul in the sense that like I, I expect wilderness, right? When I think about the outdoors, I shouldn't see a beer can on the side of the path that I'm walking on, you know? And and I end up carrying like six or seven of those out every time I go hunting on Florida. So it doesn't really feel like I'm in the wild, even though I'm, you know, there's plenty of things to kill you in Florida. But I see those spaces, and I'm sure you feel the effects of man, but there's also a, a, a ruggedness that has not been tamed in those areas. There's not rows of pine trees. It's the mountains are what the mountains are and, and, and our scars are there, but the mountains remain. And I just, I have a feeling it's going to, it's going to feed that, uh, that part of, of, of my, my childhood. Well, I think there's a cost to entry up there and you got to put in some, you got to have some skin in the game to even get into those spots. And, uh, you know, I think maybe the type of person that's going to throw a can down or, you know, maybe leave a, a non-positive mark might not put in the effort to even get into a spot like that. You know, that you're going to find that more of the easier accessible places. And um, I, I think that's a, a real positive that you're going to a place that most of the people that have been there before uh, you, if sense. anybody's been there, kind of earned that. So once you moved out there, what was that culture shock like life? 
what was the culture shock like in your life? Because you come from the South. I imagine the cuisine is different. The mental attitude of people is different. But also, I have a feeling you spend more time out. Actually, you touched on this earlier. You, you, you spend more time outdoors than you probably do here in Florida, but probably doing different things. What, what was that like for you, that transition? Well, right off the bat, they don't have boiled peanuts out there. So that took a little bit. <laughs> we actually, we, uh, we made some friends and they, they early on invited us to a party. And we said, you know what, we're going to bring some boiled peanuts to this party. And maybe half the people were like, huh. <laughs> but then, then there's some people that knew what we were talking about. And we're all about it. But uh, yeah, I, th- I think the cuisine was definitely, uh, the cuisine was definitely, um, a little different. There's no, there's no good bar. I hate to say this about my new home. There's no good barbecue there. Um, oh. and that's, that's been a struggle, but, uh, we make our own barbecue. So that's just fine. Um, we've, we've taught a lot of people how to make grits and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the way you're supposed to butter them up and everything and maybe not put sugar in them, <laughs> which I've seen. Right. Really? And, uh, yep. So there's some weird stuff going on there, but we've, uh, We've made really good friends out there. I, I would say, overall, I think it, it might be a friendlier population out there, uh, at least in my neck of the woods. I'm not saying everywhere's like that, and I'm not saying Florida or the, the South isn't a friendly population, but I, I think it's just a very, um, very welcoming. I remember we bought a piece of furniture off Craigslist when we first within the first week of moving there, and um, I remember after buying that piece of furniture on Craigslist, hey Josh. Can you yep. can you pause for just a second? Whatever whatever yeah. that noise was got really bad there for a second. Nobody's gonna be able to hear that. You started. Can you start back over with the? Uh, yeah. You bought your first piece of furniture. That's where it cut out. Okay. So we bought our first piece of furniture out there, and um, it was in within the first week we moved there, and with within that night we were having beer with the people we bought the furniture the furniture from. So it's that, that kind of welcoming vibe, and and. We've experienced that over the last four and a half, five years that everybody's kind of got that personable feel to it. Very inviting, very friendly, very sharing, um, except for hunting spots. You don't get a lot of hunting shots, uh, spots shared with you. Yeah, However, not with a barrier my, of entry like you talked about before. <laughs> exactly. Now, I will tell you, and I will call him by name if that's okay. Sure. Um, one of my good friends out there, uh, Sean Fredrickson, he uh, didn't know him at all and uh his wife uh we had kind of met on um social media with some hunting stuff and i think i'd sent out a a post before i moved out there trying to find some work for my wife who's a nurse and um so she she told me she'll get get me in touch with sean about you know helping me get started with with hunting well that i moved out there in may and it was right in the middle of bear season so sean called me up and the dude just told me exactly what i needed to do and gave me without giving me coordinates told me where I needed to be looking and what kind of stuff I needed to be looking for. And, um, it ended up even taking me out that first year. So I thought that was pretty cool. Here's just some stranger moving from Florida out there. And by the end of bear season, I'm hunting with the guy and, uh, ended up killing my bear, my very first bear out there right in one of the spots that he took me to. So, um, that was, that was pretty awesome. And, uh, we've become friends and stayed friends since then. And um, he owns a, a company doing hydrographics and, um, beetle cleaning of skull work. So he's, he's gotten all my business and everything. So I've just been a really good guy. That's awesome, man. Awesome. What are, what are the opportunities out there? You touched on, you went out there and did a bear hunt early on, like as a resident out there, what, what kind of opportunities do you get 
when you're pursuing wildlife? Yeah. So, um, Idaho is pretty cool. Um, resident tags are pretty, pretty reasonable as a resident and I can go out there and chase whitetail, mule deer, black bear, mountain lions, gray wolves and elk and moose. <laughs> so a couple of things. That's awesome. Wow. Yep. And, um, a non-resident can come out and if you buy, if a non-resident buys an elk or a deer tag, you can actually use that tag. It, it converts into a mountain lion, bear or wolf tag. If you see one during your hunt, now oh, you're hell yes. your, elk or your, your deer tag, but it gives it, it, I think it's a way to get more non-residents coming and staying happy. You know, maybe you're not going to see an elk every year, get a shot of an elk every year, but there's a good chance you'll see one of those other animals. Oh, that's pretty neat. What was that? What now, was the? Do they have? Go ahead, Jason. Go ahead. No, I was. Uh, I didn't. What about ducks? Do y'all have ducks out there? Or? We do. Yep. Um, there's a, a really good waterfowl community there, and, uh, up where I live has a, a bunch of lakes, so um, very popular up there. I, I'm not allowed to get into duck hunting, uh, according <laughs> to my wife. So. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do it. I just got out of it and. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's going to be a hit on me before too much longer. It's like getting out of the mob, dude. It's terrible. That's funny. Yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> in fact, the guy I'm working um, this trade show with is a big waterfowl hunter. In fact, he's on some uh, some duck hunting um, podcasts and stuff. So um, he's told me, he's warned me not to get into it. So I'm going to end up <laughs> owning a trailer full of decoys and um, a dog. Of course, I got the Garmin side covered with collars. but um, Yeah. Well, let's talk about something. Let's expand on it a little bit. One of the things I wanted to ask you was, you know, I'm sure a lot of the things you learned in Florida translate, but I'm sure a lot of it doesn't, or there's just an absence of local knowledge. And obviously having that guy help you out, help shorten that learning curve. But what were some of the challenges that you had to overcome shifting your mindset from being a flatlander down here in Florida to, to hunting the West? Yeah. So the first year was real humbling. Um, I went out there and I, I, I honestly, the, the hardest part is like trying to focus on one species because you have all these options, all these tags, you end up kind of going all over the place. So I think once I learned to just really focus on one species, ignore the other animals, even if I had one in sight, it's just, Hey, I'm on this mission to find an elk right now. Um, I think that was the biggest challenge. Elevation obviously was a huge challenge hunting in swamps my whole life while it's tough and it's got its own challenges such as moccasins and alligators and muck. Um, (laughs) There's nothing like climbing up a 2,500 foot slope when the air's already thin. Um, That, that got me into pretty good shape. I was pushing 220 pounds when I first moved up there. Now I weigh like 195 and that's 100% strictly from hunting those hills. Um, so that was a big challenge that first year was just getting my lungs and, and legs ready. And I'm still doing that. And just knowing how to hunt an elk. Um, I've hunted elk for I don't know, six years now. I've gotten one. So I haven't, I haven't dialed that in. I got, I, I did get an elk my second year living in Idaho and I'm like, Oh, got it figured out. Dialed in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> have not repeated. <laughs> so um, I'm going to go ahead and say that was luck that second year. Uh, I think they say uh, elk hunter will kill one every three years, every four years, something like that. So I think I should, I'm pretty much going to, I'm going to get one this year. (laughs) (laughs) You do. Um, 
deer, you know, it, it's funny that deer hunting has actually come pretty easy to me. I've, I've gotten a deer every single year I've lived up there. I've gotten two in that 150 range. Um, and they're just big bodied deer, big, thick, just what you'd expect in the mountains. Every, every deer I've gotten has been up in the mountains and I love it. I love going up there and finding that sign. And I think that's where coming from, from Florida maybe has helped a lot. I think a lot of those mountain hunters, they're always moving. They're always going to another place. And I think, and definitely this isn't just saying all of them, but I think a lot of hunters out there just, they're going so fast that they miss some of the details. And I, I think if you're a deer hunter, you, you have to catch some of those details as far as the sign they're laying out, the bedding areas, the rub lines, the, the scrapes, all that kind of stuff. Um, reading that sign and throwing together a plan and uh, really finding the right area. I, I, I think one elk is so big up there. You're, you're constantly going for those elk and you just kind of brush past these, these whitetail spots. And if you happen to see a whitetail, then that's awesome. So I've really kind of reverted back to just my basic knowledge of, you know, preseason scouting whitetail areas and just getting an area dialed in and use of trail cams has been real good for that. So, um, yeah, I, I would say proudly the, the whitetail has been less of a challenge than the rest of it. Um, I haven't got a wolf or a mountain lion, though I did have a mountain lion shot this year. I missed. I hit a branch in front of me with my bow. Um, I was whitetail hunting during the rut, and I was actually filming two does, and the mountain lion came in to attack one of the does just right under my tree stand. And... Um, the does got away and I'm kind of looking around where'd the mountain lion go. And I grabbed my bow thinking maybe he'll run back by me. And as I grabbed my bow, I looked down the mountain lion sitting under me, staring at me. And, uh, oh, wow. that was scary for a Florida guy. <laughs> no doubt. So I drew back, his head was peeking around in hindsight. I should have just launched one right for his face, but I don't know if that's a good thing or not <laughs> ethically speaking, but I wanted him bad. Um, but yeah, he right when I drew back, he kind of did a quick, exactly what you'd expect a mountain lion to do, just kind of swooped through the air. And he, he gave me one shot quartering away, and I launched an arrow and hit a branch like 10 feet in front of me that I focused right past. But I uh, got the whole thing on film, which was cool, and probably will never have that opportunity again in my life. But I can at least say I've shot at a mountain lion, just haven't got one yet. That's pretty cool. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Are, are you using that Garmin Bosite? So it's not allowed in Idaho. Oh, that's right. Yeah, uh, it wasn't allowed in Florida commies. for till this past year. Um, during the bow season, they just made it legal for you to be able to use it in Florida. Yeah, I was excited when I heard when I heard the news on that, and uh, I don't know if it'll ever happen in Idaho, but I will tell you, I had the perfect scenario for it while I was sitting in my uh, my office. I I drew back on a big buck last year um, that that caught the mo- the movement of my draw. He was at like twenty two yards. In my draw cycle, he jumped out to 40 and some change, and I let back down, rearranged him, drew back, and by that time he was gone. Had I had that that bow side, I could have just stayed full draw and and then just followed him out to that 40-yard mark and already had a pin waiting for him. So that was kind of depressing, knowing I had the product to allow me to, to make a nice ethical kill on an animal, but just not allowed to use it. Right. Yeah, Idaho's kind of different because – don't you have to use you have to use fixed blade broadheads out there as well and like no lighted knocks that's right yep no electronics at all i can't even have a a verb camera or anything on my bow i can't have an action camera on my bow can't have lighted knocks can't have uh lighted pen reticles um 
no fixed or no mechanical broadheads. So yeah, they keep it pretty, you know, I, I see that side of it and uh, kind of a purist in me is like, yeah, I like that. But then I, in the same voice, I hear a lot of people talking about maybe the youth isn't involved in hunting as much as we used to be. And is it a dying sport? And, you know, I'm thinking, um, maybe that's a way to enter them into that world that, you know, maybe a kid that's grown up with electronics and things would see some more enjoyment and having a lighted knock. It's not going to, you know, not trying to go down that rabbit hole, but you know, I think it's not going to change the shot if you can see your arrow after you've released it, but you can see where you've hit and help, help track the animal and stuff. And maybe seeing that light and not shoot away gets kid excited and maybe having a camera that they can watch their hunt with is going to get them excited too. But as of right now, we just can't do it. Hmm. Gotcha. That, is there a reason or is that's just, that's just the way it is. That's just how they've always done it. I think they try and follow some of the, um, the different guides out there as far as um, keeping things old school. Um, I, I don't know the, the genuine reason behind it. I think they've just stayed the course just with what they've always done. Okay. There's a lot yeah, of purists. I, I, There's a lot of purists out there. It seems like, it seems like Idaho seems to be a hub for a lot of traditional archery from my perspective. And I wonder, do you think that kind of plays into it? Like it seems like the Idaho culture is to keep the hunt quote unquote pure, like, what it what it was for the last several i don't know decades i think that yeah i think you get a lot of that um you know and, and i guess it's picking and choosing what to be pure about you know right. definitely maybe they're using some some 400 dollar camo that's very technical um maybe some boots that keep their feet dry and warm maybe a rangefinder that still <laughs> right. allows them to look but then draw the line in the sand at some other stuff so i don't know i think it's just a matter of time that some of that stuff will, will adapt. And I, I don't hate on the people that, that want to keep it pure because I'm that same way in a lot of things in my life, but um, I don't know, maybe, I don't know. It's a, yeah. I, I, you know, being part of the both side, I've had the conversation a lot and I come full circle all the time. I've, I've defended it to quite a few people, the both side itself. And, um, you know, I think it's just one of those things that it's new. It's, it's maybe controversial, especially if you're not, fully familiar with what it's capable of. And um, I think that's the same way with lighted knots, mechanical broadheads and all that. You know, I think there's a case to be made for all of those. I mean, yeah, no doubt. The sport's going to evolve. I mean, it, it, it evolved in the, in the forties with the, with the development of, of, of high end glass and optics, which gr- you know drastically increased your harvest, uh, harvest rate. I mean, you said it with the technical clothing. It, it's, it's an interesting thing. I mean, if I had one in my hands, like, if Chase handed me one, I'd shoot it. I wouldn't think twice about shooting it. I mean, I, I to, but that's also I have a thirty thirty five yard self imposed range for bow hunting, so it's not going to make any difference for me. I pretty much use one pin out to thirty yards, you know. Right. So, you know, it, it would just be there to make me more efficient in that moment. But uh, that that's interesting. Maybe we ought to have you on and talk about that more because I think that'd be an interesting, an interesting dialogue, for, especially with someone there with the company, the kind of the perspective of what you've had. Yeah, I, I would love to talk about it. I mean, um, I wish I could use it. I enjoy shoot. I do shoot it in my yard uh, quite a bit on just 3D archery, and I'll shoot it this summer with 3D archery. And um, you know, I, I think it, it just, you know, without going way down that path, I, I think it's just a it's a product that does what's already being done as far as holding a rangefinder and having a, a single pin adjustable sight. It just happens to do it quick. And I, I made a post a long time ago saying, you know. If it, if it say a deer's at 40 yards, 42 yards, 
the guy that has it's going to take the shot, and the guy that doesn't have it is going to take that shot. Right. One guy is going to know exactly what the range is, and one guy is going to be estimating. That guy may be guy or gal, uh, not get me in trouble. Um, <laughs> maybe uh, estimating great, maybe off. Uh, I, I know if I ever had to face a firing squad, I hope they're spot on where my heart is because I don't want to get a gut shot and then say, oh, our yardage was off a little bit. I misjudged that holdover by a couple inches. Um, so I don't think it's going to lead to more shots, but I do think it'll lead to less injury, injured animals. We agree. And, and I think a lot of, you know, you, you hear some comments about, uh, you know, maybe it's going to increase the, kill rate and then we'll have to reduce seasons i don't think so i think i think the injured animals end up dying a lot of them end up dying for the most part anyways so i don't think you're killing any more animals i think you're just killing more animals quickly and recovering them yeah, and you still gotta go you still gotta be a good shot you still gotta get in bow range you yeah. gotta hold the thing level stay stable um do everything in fact it'll teach you that your shots off in practice mode it'll tell you if you're holding poor form and torquing the bow and things like that. So it'll help you improve your shot. Um, it just happens to tell you the yardage right there instead of in your hand. We agree. Well, yeah. Bubba, we're coming up here on an hour, and I want to be respectful of your time. But before I go, I've got a variation of a question. Actually, let me pause. Chase, did you have any closing thoughts before I do this? No, I just uh, appreciate you coming on talking to us and – Maybe, like I said, you can come back on and we can dive more into some, like, Garmin products and how you use them for hunting or fishing. Uh, I think that would be kind of cool. Yeah, I think I think that's a no-brainer. Actually, I've got an idea. Let's talk af- offline. I think I've got an idea on how we can tie that in to the podcast beautifully. But here's my closing question for you, Josh. If you've listened to the podcast, you know this is coming. If you haven't listened to the podcast, I'm going to revel in, in the potential struggle that comes with this question. And that is, if you could give one person moving out west one singular piece of advice, one, like, only one statement that you can give this person that would, that would help them with the transition to being a western hunter from the southeast, the northeast, wherever they are, but specifically for our, our base right now, what one piece of advice would you give a southeastern listener moving out to Idaho right now? Sure. So this, this is going to sound silly. Um, it, it, I'm a... I'm a grown man and I'm not going to lie. When I first started hunting out West, I thought every tree I walked around was going to have a grizzly bear waiting behind it, a mountain lion waiting behind it or a wolf. And it, it limited some of the places I went to my first couple of years, sadly. Like I'm embarrassed to say that I would not go deep because I was scared of these animals and having hunted out there for multiple seasons now, there's times I'm trying to find a grizzly bear just so I can say I saw one and I can't. And I, I go, <laughs> I go wolf hunting all the time and I'm yet to see, well, I've seen one wolf, but I, that was on accident. Uh, but on purpose, I'm yet to see a wolf and that mountain lion was my first run in with a mountain lion and I still feel perfectly safe. So if, if someone's coming out West, I, I, I think, and, and I say this because I've heard other guys say, I want to come hunt with you, but I don't want to deal with grizzly bears or something like that. It, honestly, it's not, it's, they're not everywhere and you almost got to mean to see it. That's not to say you're not going to have a run in with one. Um, but I, I think myself and a lot of other guys probably put that higher than it should be on the, one of the determining factors that they want to hunt out West. Um, of course in places like Colorado and stuff, there aren't grizzly bears, but if you're coming out to Idaho specifically, I think it's, um, 
I don't know. That, that may sound silly, but it, it, that was just something that affected me. I remember my first season of bear hunting. I just thought, for sure, I'm getting mauled by a grizzly bear the second I step out of the truck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I can say, I can tell people this much. I If you're in, if you're a long-time listener of the podcast, you know that last year I had two pretty serious bear encounters here in Florida. and It sounds like your odds are better <laughs> in Idaho than they were here. So <laughs> go to Idaho. You, you may be right. I tell people all the time that Florida has some of the biggest, baddest bears that are out there because they don't hibernate. They just eat, right. eat, 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 eat yeah. grumpy. <laughs> And they get ornery. Yeah. (laughs) Well, dude, hang on one second. I'm going to wrap this out, but I want to talk to you afterwards. Okay. Guys, I love this podcast, so I know you guys are going to love this podcast. And I'm beyond appreciative of Josh taking the time to come on the show. And I can already tell you right now, he seems willing, and Chase and I are more than willing, to continue a series with Josh on how to use the products, I want to get him back on to talk about the sandbar hunt because I'm several years away from being able to get on there, so it's probably not going to impact me in the long run. But if you haven't already, hit that like button. Hit that. I'm sorry, don't hit the like button. This isn't social media. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe <laughs> button. Leave me a rating or leave – oh, my gosh. All right, third time's a charm. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. Leave us a rating or a review. Tell a friend about the show so that we can grow each and every week. And until next time, we'll see you later.